service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock-a-rolla. Badlands is a production of Double Elvis. Oh, I'm frightfully upset. A terrible thing happened. In the middle of the night, my wife awakened me and said, Get up, there's a burglar in the house. Anything I hate in this world is to have my wife awaken me in the middle of the night and tell me to get up and meet a burglar. I'll meet landlords and janitors, but one must draw the line someplace. So I said to my wife, No, you get up. She says, No, you get up. I said, I got up to meet the last burglar. You get up and meet this one. The stories about a group of thieves known as the Bling Ring are insane. They stole over $3 million worth of luxury goods from the mansions of Hollywood's elite, and they were only teenagers. They targeted some of the biggest celebrities of the 2000s, including Paris Hilton, Orlando Bloom, and Lindsay Lohan. They walked away with designer bags full of cash, cocaine, and custom couture. Their extreme greed captivated Sofia Coppola, who wrote and directed a movie dedicated to their sticky fingers a great film that debuted at the Cannes Film Festival in 2013. Unlike that clip I played for you at the top of the show, that wasn't from a great film. That was a fair use sample from the Library of Congress of Raymond Hitchcock performing The Burglar Story in the High Cost of Living from 1914. I played you that clip because I can't afford the rights to Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. And why would I play you that specific slice of Nazi scalping cheese could I afford it? Because that was the number one movie in America on August 23, 2009. And that was the day that the bling ring made their greatest and most foolish conquest. A misstep that found them trading designer digs for orange jumpsuits. On this episode, stolen cash, coke, and custom couture in the sticky fingers of the greediest teens in L.A., the bling ring. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands, Season 7, Hollywoodland. It was easy to break into Paris Hilton's mansion if you knew where to look. Drive down the edge of Mulholland Estates and go past the gates, never mind the guard, he's not paying attention anyway. Find the hill at the edge of the property and feel your way for the path that cuts into the vegetation. 
Oh, and make sure you go after dark when all the cosmopolitans are busy knocking back cosmos down at the club. Voila. Welcome to Paris. It was a wonder no one found the entryway sooner. You could spot it on Google Earth if you were savvy enough. And the crooks climbing up that hill tonight were very savvy. The man and woman strode in single file, and they scaled the massive slope using fire breaks. You know, those areas of vegetation thinned out by firefighters in case of wildfires. Classic California problem. The pastel yellow mansion came more into focus with every heave up the hill, and the duo hustled until they were standing at an ornate front door. And the man heard the house key clink under the doormat, but he didn't need it. He had his own copy, swiped from a previous visit. He unlocked the door and stepped inside, and the muscle memory in his hand reached for a switch and flicked on the lights. And there she was, Paris Hilton. She was on the walls and screen printed onto pillows, looking at you from every angle, even in the bathroom. Because the only decoration worthy of Paris Hilton's paradise was herself. The thieves were unfazed by the display of narcissism. They had seen it all before. They pushed past the friendly toy dogs gathered at their heels, a litter of chihuahuas and a Pomeranian, Dolce Prada, Tinkerbell, Marilyn Monroe, and Prince Baby Bear, tongues out and tails wagging. Even the one named Harazuku bitch didn't bite. The burglars made their way past the imitation French armchairs and sofas, furniture straight out of Versailles, and past the endless magazine covers in gilded frames, all of it illuminated by the light of crystal chandeliers. They kept laser focus until they found new territory to explore. New territory, like the safe room. Paris's safe was as defenseless as her dogs. The door swung open when the man tugged on it. Jesus, if anyone was dumb enough to leave precious things hanging around, it was Paris Hilton. Robbing her was like taking candy from a baby, a very, very rich baby. He reached inside and pulled out a handful of glossy papers, close to 20 images, topless images. These were private. Private meant pricey. Pricey meant that a couple of the photos were coming home with the burglars. And then they took whatever else they could find. Gem-encrusted accessories, ornate perfume bottles, stacks of cash, spare baggies of cocaine. But they burgled with purpose. They only lifted the trinkets that Paris wouldn't notice missing from her sea of luxury. Expendable stuff like her boyfriend's spare sneakers or crumpled up 50 and $100 bills tucked away in designer handbags. They picked from Paris's drawers and racks for what felt like hours, and they didn't stop until their pockets were full. But the burglars weren't quite finished. Not according to the woman. She made her way upstairs. She knew the route to Paris's so-called nightclub room by heart. They had a ritual of pausing there for a celebratory smoke under the glimmer of the disco ball. Her laughter ricocheted off walls covered in damask wallpaper as she launched herself into a plush armchair. The man followed but wasn't smiling. His heart skipped a beat, and not in a good way. They were taking way too long. He could sense it, and they could only get away with the stunt for so long. After all, they had just robbed Paris a few times before, and they were just teenagers. That man, Nick Prugo, was barely a man. He was 18, and so was his co-conspirator, Rachel Lee. But these burglars were greedy beyond their years. Stealthy beyond their years, too. Hell, Paris Hilton hadn't noticed a single thing was missing yet. And they marveled at how much stuff this one person had. A person who Nick once said didn't really contribute to society. 
For a person who didn't contribute to society, though, she was still somehow at the center of it. In the 2000s, pop culture revolved around Paris Hilton. She was a spray-tan sun who pulled everything into her orbit. Bare midriffs and miniskirts, tiny dogs, color pink, and the tabloids couldn't resist her gravitational pull when her reputation tanked in 2006 after a DUI. But Paris Hilton's DUI was not the Hollywood crime of the decade. That title went to these few teens she'd yanked into her orbit. They were so consumed with Paris that they reached out and pocketed whatever they could from her and any other celebrity who enticed them. The press would invent many names for them. The Hollywood Hills Burglars, the Burglar Bunch. But there was one that stuck to these kids with the sticky fingers, the bling ring. And maybe Rachel Lee and Nick Prugo weren't household names, but their crimes would be. Rachel and Nick first locked arms at Indian Hills Continuation School in Agora Hills. It was a place for the burnouts and the fuck-ups who couldn't cut it at ritzy schools like Calabasas High, which Nick and Rachel were both expelled from. But the duo had more in common than a bad academic rep. They lived for fashion, glossy magazine spreads, racks of plush designer clothing, the names printed across the bags and asses of Hollywood's elite. Juicy Couture, Chanel, Fendi, The Works. Rachel, in particular, spent a lot of time thinking about elite ensembles, and that's why she never thought twice about stealing. It started off small. Nick and Rachel scanned the streets of Calabasas for expensive cars that might be unlocked. It became their nightly routine. Tug on the handle of a Lambo or a Porsche, see if it opened, and then lean in and yank open the glove box. Pocket the cash and sunglasses and take the iPod too. Maybe use it to blast Lil Wayne's got money on the ride home. Rachel dreamed up a little scheme, and when it worked night after night without repercussions, Rachel dreamed bigger. She even persuaded Nick to help her rob some old friends who were out of town. Don't worry, she told Nick. She would never do that to him. Stealing was their innocuous little bonding activity. Nick and Rachel didn't dress like thieves. Ski masks and gloves, those were decidedly not hot. They were regular-ass teenagers, not seasoned cons working adjacent to the mob. If they were ever caught, they could just play dumb. Better yet, they could just play stoned and act like they'd stumbled into the wrong house. Not that Nick and Rachel were ever caught. Their perfect record helped Rachel execute each job with nonchalance. Nick, though, not so much. He needed a bump of coke or two to keep his cool. Good thing Paris Hilton could provide. Their break-ins became Rachel and Nick's bragging rights, inside and outside of school. Everyone just shrugged them off. Sure, sure, that's Paris Hilton's dress you're wearing, yeah, right. Of course you met her seven furry friends while looking for her coke stash. And they were at Indian Hills for fuck's sakes. Criminal masterminds didn't go here. But that didn't stop Rachel and Nick from blabbing to whoever would listen. At a bar called the Sagebrush Cantina, someone did listen. The bouncer there wanted to know more about where Paris Hilton lived. The bouncer, Roy Lopez, needed money. Bad. He couldn't afford to repair his banged up car, so his car never left home. Except Roy had no home. He slept on his friend's couches. Roy wasn't above stealing. Roy especially wasn't above stealing from an heiress whose only contribution to society was a ditzy catchphrase. So Roy proposed a deal. If Nick spilled his strategies for breaking into Paris Hilton's home, he'd get a cut of whatever Roy stole. Up to 100 grand once all the jewelry was sold, give or take. Nick agreed. And this time he wouldn't have to get all nervous again. This time he'd make some moolah without even stepping inside Paris's home. He walked Roy through everything in advance, 
the security cameras, the key under the mat, and where to find her trove of jewels. Nick gave Roy everything he needed to know to turn Paris Hilton into a pauper. Everything except common sense. The doormat. Nick Prugo claimed it all came down to the doormat. Roy Lopez, the sagebrush cantina bouncer, followed in Nick's footsteps as he felt around for the key under Paris Hilton's welcome mat. It wasn't the original key, of course. Nick and Rachel had kept that one for themselves. Roy found it easily and left the doormat looking just as he'd found it. He didn't bother to wipe his feet. Big mistake. December 18th, 2009. Roy followed the treasure map Nick sketched out for him. X marked the spot upstairs in a special corner of Paris's bedroom closet, the same corner where she kept her jewelry collection. The designer shoes and sunglasses that surrounded Roy didn't tempt him. He grabbed a Louis Vuitton tote bag from one of the endless overflowing shelves, not to sell, just so he had something to take his stash home in. Roy felt around for the door that would lead to Paris's little jewelry store. He pushed it open, and then pushed two shelves worth of jewels into the designer tote. Strings of pearls tangled with gold chains, Hilton family heirlooms alongside cheap costume jewelry. Roy could sort it out later. He splurged, and then he split. No alarm, no witnesses. But Roy fucked up. He left behind his own map, laid out in dirty brown footprints between the bedroom closet and the doormat. When Paris later staggered through the front door after a night out in Hollywood, it was the first time she actually realized she'd been robbed. And there was another obvious tip-off. Roy Lopez took more than Nick and Rachel took. A lot more. And he wasn't discreet. Paris obviously noticed that nearly $2 million of her jewels were missing from her collection. Gems weren't starfish, that shit didn't repopulate. And if a guy who wasn't smart enough to wipe his feet could still get away with it, then careful crooks like Nick and Rachel could too. They'd just have to look elsewhere. No problem. They had the technology. CelebrityAddressAerial.com was the phone book of the 21st century. Sprinkle in a few clicks on Google Earth and they could spy on every front yard, backyard, and cabana in Hollywood. Who needed Paris anymore? There was other turf to conquer. Like turf in the hills. February 22nd, 2009. Oscar night. No one stayed in on the evening of Hollywood's Super Bowl. Not even reality TV stars like Audrina Patridge. Famous for her time on MTV's half-cheesy, half-sleazy show, The Hills. According to a celebrity gossip site, Audrina had some A-list plans for Academy Awards night. Nick and Rachel considered it their invitation to a million-dollar home in the Hollywood Hills. They waltzed right up to Audrina's Spanish-style home through an unlocked sliding glass door. They took sunglasses, purses, tailor-made jeans, jewelry handed down from Audrina's great-grandmother, and they took her passport. They stole so much that they had to use Audrina's own fucking luggage to get everything out of the door. And when they ran out of suitcases, they found Audrina's stash of trash bags and used those to haul out the remainder of their $43,000 shopping spree. It was pennies compared to what came next, though. A few months later, they had a new target, new turf. Rachel and Nick drove out to Los Feliz to find the four-bedroom home of Rachel Bilson, star of the OC. Bilson was off canoodling with her beau in Canada for a spell, so the bling ring took advantage of her prolonged absence. They robbed Bilson no fewer than three times that month. 
The trappings of Bilson's life went out the door in designer bags, her vintage shoes, her mother's engagement ring, a full cabinet's worth of DVDs, and a television. The bling ring even bagged her entire collection of Chanel clothes worth roughly $300,000. The bling ring's taste for high fashion was insatiable. If Rachel saw a celebrity wearing a flashy necklace online or a tight dress in a magazine, she had to have it. And by it, she meant that specific one, even if it was still damp with sweat from a night out at the club. The bling ring didn't discriminate. They took clothes that still had the tags, wrinkled clothes that needed to be washed, custom dresses, t-shirts, underwear. They stole like the Grinch on Christmas Eve just for the hell of it. Any item was fair game. And if something in their hall wasn't their style or up to snuff, they'd toss it in the trash once they got home. At one point, they hoarded so many designer bags that they peddled them on the Venice Beach boardwalk for 50 bucks a pop. Their hauls made Rachel high. The repeat robberies made Nick want to get high. It was the same scene at every job. Nick fidgets and starts sweating, and Rachel waves him off with a newly bejeweled wrist. You're tripping out, she says. And that was Rachel's little catchphrase for whenever Nick got wound up. Like when she had habitually went back for seconds, or when she chose to relieve herself in a celebrity's home as if she were perched in her own private bathroom. It all made Nick sweat, but he adored Rachel. I loved her, he later told a journalist. Before Rachel, Nick was a loner. Now he was a sheepish guy dressed in celebrities' clothing, rubbing elbows with a whole new crew of friends around Hollywood. So if Rachel desired something, Nick helped her get it. Even if it meant she and Nick had to roll up to someone's private property and snatch it themselves. Rachel had a little extra help these days too. The bling ring was getting bigger. Those new friends that surrounded Nick wanted in. They wanted to take a few of their own laps inside some luxury homes and, well, shit, there was plenty to go around. There was plenty for Alexis Nyers, who truly believed she was already a celebrity. She had a reality TV deal with E for a show called Pretty Wild. It was pretty crappy, and Alexis was pseudo-spiritual to a T. I guess karma is real, but Donna Karen is realer or something. Enter Diana Tamayo, former Indian Hills high-class president, star student, the good girl, inevitably gone bad, voted best smile in the 2007 yearbook, the total opposite of Courtney Ames, instigator, stepdaughter of an amateur light welterweight boxer. She will fight you. And so would her boyfriend, a bouncer named Jonathan Ajar, AKA Johnny Dangerous. He worked as a promoter at the Hollywood Club Late Do, and Johnny took care of Courtney's friends, made sure they got in and got served the hard stuff. At 27, he was older than the rest of the crew and had experience peddling coke on the side. Johnny was no thief, but he was a fence. Someone who could take stolen goods off their hands and flip it for a profit, with a handsome cut for himself, of course. But once Johnny was in the picture, he was ready to serve. And the bling ring was ready to strike again. The bling ring didn't know about Orlando Bloom's Rolex watch collection. They had no idea he kept his precious timepieces stashed away in a secret cupboard in a wall behind a bookshelf. But after so many burglaries, they had a sixth sense for detecting luxury. They found those 10 Rolex watches hidden in a velvety box in Orlando's secret hiding spot. Then they deposited 10 Rolex watches right into their new designer bags, all courtesy of the Bloom residence. July 13th, 2009. The fence surrounding Orlando's mansion was too tall to hop, so the bling ring stooped to a new low. They unbraided the chain link with precision. One by one, the teens wriggled through their man-made hole moving up the lawn. 
Orlando forgot to lock the private entrance to his master bedroom before we left the cheese for some new movie role on the East Coast. The bling ring didn't give a fuck about elves from the woodland realm or swashbuckling pirates on the Caribbean, so they didn't give a fuck about Orlando Bloom. Rachel, in particular, cared about his then-girlfriend, a Victoria's Secret model. In teenage girl talk, she was the epitome of style, sex, and beauty. The girlfriend was who Rachel was after. That is, until she spotted the wall art that spruced up Orlando's mansion. Half a million dollars worth of Rolexes wasn't enough of a flex for Rachel. Nick and Alexis bounced after one round of quote-unquote shopping. Rachel went back for seconds, though, and then thirds, and then fourths. She robbed Orlando and his girlfriend for three hours straight without setting off a single alarm. She plucked art and photographs right off the walls. And then she took a rug. Not because she could make a lot of money selling it, but because she was leaving. Leaving for Las Vegas soon to live with her father, and she figured she'd want to redecorate. It's a pretty convenient move, considering the distance her new pad would put between her and her SoCal crimes. Not that Rachel was worried about it. Worrying was Nick's job in the bling ring, not hers. Nothing would ever trip Rachel out. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. The sound of Nick's nagging whine rang in Rachel's ears. It was louder than her heartbeat. Louder than the clink of the handcuffs around her wrists, too. Nick knew the bling ring couldn't run forever. Maybe Rachel knew it deep down as well. Either way, she had to face that fact in the back of a cruiser. She was fucking busted. Not at Paris Hilton's mansion. Not in Orlando Bloom's closet. At a Sephora. Sephora! Those crummy mall cops got the good girl gone bad Diana Tamayo, too. It was embarrassing to be caught here. In a shopping mall. After all the times the bling ring had slithered off private properties with fistfuls of jewels and heirlooms. Rachel hadn't paid for hundreds of thousands of dollars in clothes. Why should she have to swipe her credit card for $85 worth of makeup? Whatever. Rachel wasn't tripping out over her arrest. Neither was the court. They saw two impeccably dressed teens who were taking their angst out on the mall's makeup counter. Rachel and Diana got off easy with one year's probation. Their real punishment was that their fingerprints and mugshots were now in the system. Identifying either girl in security footage was suddenly a very real possibility. It should have scared the bling ring straight. But Rachel Lee didn't get scared. She got specific. She had one final conquest in mind before her big move to Las Vegas. Forget the other names on their list. Zac Efron, Ashley Tisdale, and Vanessa Hudgens. They could keep their shit. They were nobodies, really, compared to Rachel's final target. A target who rivaled Paris Hilton for the biggest hot mess princess of the early aughts. So Rachel called up Nick and Diana. Get in, losers. We're going shopping. The bling ring was lucky Diana kept the screwdriver in her car. They needed some sort of tool to jiggle a window screen just right and pop that sucker out. Turns out, Lindsay Lohan kept her home under lock and key. Just because she was once a mean girl didn't mean she was a stupid girl. Lindsay Lohan's home wasn't a home at all. It was a simple three-bedroom rental in the Hollywood Hills. The rental situation didn't stop Lindsay from making herself comfortable. Shopping bags littered around the house like loose debris, overflowing with Givenchy, Fendi, Chloe, Gucci. If it ended in an e-sound and cost a couple grand, Lindsay had it in stock. The bling ring didn't even have to dig. The mess just made it easier for Rachel and Diana to pick out what they wanted. All Nick wanted, though, was to fucking leave. 
Rachel and Diana's squeals of ecstasy were making him queasy. The stakes were too high now, even higher than a few lines of coke got him. If Lindsay had security cameras rolling right now, the cops could connect the dots faster than he found Lindsay's address online. Rachel attempted to cover her ass by covering her face with a hoodie just in case. She could change into something more fabulous later. Something like a custom-made black mink coat she lifted from Lindsay's closet, along with a few watches, purses, and a beaded rosary chrome hearts necklace. Nick took a few things himself, but there wasn't much for him here. Nothing but the anxiety that Rachel seemed immune to. Nick still loved Rachel, but Rachel loved stuff. The only thing Rachel did better than steal was want. Rachel picked the targets. Rachel left only when she felt like leaving. Rachel took whatever she wanted, and what she wanted was everything. The only thing that could curb Rachel's appetite was the limits of her suitcase as she boarded a flight to Las Vegas the next morning. Whatever didn't fit in, she wore. Nick dropped Rachel off at the Bob Hope Airport in Burbank and watched her slink behind the sliding glass doors decked head to toe in stolen attire. He could exhale now. It was all over. But Nick had been holding his breath for so long that he forgot how to exhale. The past 10 months of his life had been about stealing and then showing off. Or in Nick's case, following orders and swallowing fear. Enough. It was time for a change. There was a new ringleader in town. Nick didn't know about his addiction until it was too late. He knew he had a coke problem, like, no shit, that was a given. He was already stealing money from his parents just to keep up the habit, but he didn't realize that he was also addicted to theft. Not until he found himself reaching through the door flap of a stranger's Tudor house, literally reaching out for more. Nick made the plans this time. His idea, his target, his haul. He kept his victim on brand for the bling ring. That quaint Tudor house belonged to Brian Austin Green of Beverly Hills 90210 fame. Brian's other claim to fame was his blockbuster bombshell fiance, Megan Fox. Hardly a week had passed since Nick was last in the Hollywood Hills, robbing Lindsay Lohan with other members of the crew. Rachel and Diana left Lindsay's house in shambles, which, to be fair, it wasn't exactly squeaky clean when they found it. But that wasn't Nick's style. He didn't ransack his victims. He was sneaky. His touch was light. Just like when he'd robbed Paris Hilton in the early days. At Brian Austin Green's place, Nick made it seem like a ghost had simply rearranged a few things. He swiped only one Rolex and some clothes here and there. A lockbox from under the bed, probably flush with cash or more jewels. Rachel had nonchalance, but she didn't have stealth. Nick had stealth and spades, but he had something else too. He had a gun. Turns out that lockbox wasn't for spare cash or family heirlooms. It was for a Sig Sauer 380. Nick couldn't even touch it. He gazed down at the piece in his lap. He felt a tingle in his toes and a jolt in his spine. And there was the panic again. Stealing was one thing, but owning a gun, a stolen gun, that sounded like something that would put you behind bars like for a long time. And, and I don't know how many counts of burglary was Nick up to now. That could make for a mighty long vacation in the California prison system if he ever got caught. He felt sick to his stomach. His heart pounded in his chest. What was he gonna do with this gun? What was he gonna do with all this fucking stuff? He felt the weight of his spoils piled on top of him, crushing his ribcage. His bones threatened to buckle under the pressure. And so did his conscience.
Nick knew he was being watched. He didn't have proof. Technically, he was alone in his bed, but he felt it. Eyes looking down at him, casting judgment. He was definitely tripping out. Nick flipped from his left side to his right in bed. He locked eyes with a pair of stolen sunglasses sitting on his nightstand. Shit. That only made it worse. He stared up at the ceiling instead. But the eyes never left. The stolen goods in his room were all watching him. The clothes, the accessories, the watches, they all knew. They tormented him. The telltale Hermes, he could feel the sweat clinging to his hair. He had bitten off more than he could chew, and now he was choking on it. Nick forced his eyes shut. A different image burned into his mind's eye. The newly released security footage from Lindsay Lohan's house. Nick wasn't imagining things. There were eyes on him. Thousands of them, if not millions. TMZ broadcast his sins to the world, and the people watching didn't know it was Nick and the rest of the bling ring in that grainy footage from Lindsay's pad, but they would know soon. He knew it, for real this time. Fuck, he had to lose the loot, and fast. The gun was already taken care of. Johnny Dangerous, Courtney's bouncer boyfriend, happily bought it from him. Nick unloaded more of the spoils in his grandmother's basement, too. But every other t-shirt and trinket was a ticking time bomb sitting around in his bedroom. And they were all about to blow. The police didn't have much proof that Nick Prugo was a member of the bling ring. They didn't need much. Because a few weeks after Nick was arrested in September of 2009, he admitted to everything. He shared details of break-ins the police didn't even know about. Every date, every location, every stolen item, right down to the shirt on his back at the time of his arrest. It wasn't his. It belonged to Orlando Bloom. The bling ring ended how it began, online. Nick and Rachel forgot that Facebook and Twitter work both ways. You can use those sites to stalk celebrities and make sure they're not home, but other people can stalk you too. Nick and Rachel essentially turned themselves in every time they bragged about a burglary on Facebook. Two protected witnesses used their posts to nudge the cops in the right direction. In the end, the lead detective on the case wrangled all six criminals into handcuffs. Nick, Rachel, Diana, Courtney, Alexis, and even Roy Lopez, even though he was a fringe member at best. But once the ring collapsed, Johnny Dangerous turned himself in for receiving stolen property among other felony charges. And those meddling kids could have gotten away with it too if Nick's guilt had not a hole in his conscience. Their fates in the courthouse looked bleak. No one wanted to sympathize with a bunch of kids who felt entitled to easy fame and fortune. Not until Sofia Coppola put her spin on the story. She saw cinematic potential bubbling under the bratty surface of the bling ring's capers. Even though half of its members had yet to be sentenced, she started writing her screenplay in 2011. Her team called Paris Hilton to film at her mansion, and they rang Emma Watson to bring the star power. And they called the true detective, the actual cop who brought down the bling ring to make a cameo. And that detective signed the dotted line and collected $12,500 for a little scene in which he arrested Emma Watson. But he failed to sign the proper work permitting him to appear in a motion picture. Overnight, he lost all credibility as the head of the bling ring case. Every piece of evidence and information he gathered was suddenly being scrutinized, and the controversy rocked the case upside down. It was too late for Nick, Rachel, and Johnny, who were already behind bars on various burglary and conspiracy charges. But Alexis lucked out. Released from her 180-day prison sentence in just 30 days, it was already walking free. But the three remaining defendants, Diana, Courtney, and Roy, got off with plea deals, 
dodging jail time in exchange for three years probation and community service. It was the bling ring's final layer in a pyramid scheme of greed. The greed of celebrities snapping up every luxury item they could afford. The greed of some teens trying to imitate the upper class. And the greed of the people making a buck off of all of the above. A greed so fast, so insatiable, Sofia Coppola knew it ought to be in pictures. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands. Badlands was created by me, Jake Brennan, and produced by Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at badlandspod.com. Subscribe, follow, like, rate, and review the Badlands podcast wherever you get your podcast because Badlands is available everywhere. If you love this show, tell someone, tell everyone, shout us out on social, spread the word, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Double Elvis. Double Elvis.